The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics Podcast for Friday, May 20th. Roll pal Justin Robert Young here. Joining you as I prepare to fly yet again, this time to the Peach State. Oh yeah, Georgia is on my mind because that's where I will be uh, hunting down candidates. Purdue, Kemp, see if we can get a little Herschel Walker, a little uh, Stacey Abrams, a little Raphael Warnock. No guarantees on the rest of them because they... uh they don't have competitive primaries, but, but we will definitely see Purdue. We will definitely see Mike Pence with Brian Kemp. I am very excited. I don't think I've been excited as excited for an event as I am to see Brian Kemp and Mike Pence, which is how you know that I'm legitimately a sick person. I am, I am a very unwell person that that sentence unironically fell out of my mouth, but I am very excited for it, mostly because You guys know I love the vibes. Oh, am I interested to see what the vibes are like at that rally. One that we're going to get into in a little bit when we run down all of our Georgia uh, uh, issues as we are uh, about to head on off to cover it. We are also going to get into something that very much affected the last two places that we traveled to, and and that is Ohio and Pennsylvania, a feud between two of the most influential elements of the Republican Party, former President Donald Trump and Super PAC Club for Growth. Now, there is a complicated history between these two really organizations because, you know, Trump world is a planet unto itself. But it has recently become very, very, very interesting. And indeed, it seems as if there is an influence fight for the soul of the GOP, or at least the sole authority on endorsing winning candidates. And finally, we are going to have a great conversation with somebody who's been on the show before, but is... You know, I think truly somebody that, that's got a story that you're going to want to hear. Brian Sack, who ironically has been among our more controversial guests, at least when it comes to email feedback. He has not been in America for the last two and a half months. No, he's been on the border of Ukraine. He's been helping to feed and situate refugees from the first land war in Europe since World War II. Why did he go? What happened there? And how does it feel like to be back? We ask him all that. But first. There's nothing conservative about proposing the largest tax hike in history. 
There's nothing conservative about supporting socialized single-payer health care. There's nothing conservative about abusing eminent domain for personal gain. There's nothing conservative about four bankruptcies. There's nothing conservative about giving money to the Clintons. There's nothing conservative about Donald Trump. That is an ad from the 2016 election. It was created and paid for by Club for Growth Action, a super PAC, which at the time supported a cadre of candidates in the Republican primary, but would eventually coalesce behind Ted Cruz. That primary, the 2016 Republican national primary, began a long off-again, on-again, off-again relationship between the influential conservative organization Club for Growth and the influential Republican president, Donald Trump. It most recently reignited during the primary campaign of 2022, the one we're in the middle of right now, with Growth attempting to hunt down Trump's endorsed candidates, specifically when it comes to the Senate. First, it was J.D. Vance in Ohio, and then Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. So let's first start with this. What the hell is Club for Growth? The Club for Growth was founded in 1999 by Stephen Moore, Thomas L. Rhodes, and Richard Gilder. In 2003 through 2004, Club for Growth was the largest single fundraiser for Republican House and Senate candidates outside of the Republican Party itself, raising nearly $22 million back then. And you would imagine with the world of mega donors shrinking and not expanding, considering small dollar donations are a much bigger part of the fundraising pie these days, that big money organizations like this are only getting more rare. Through the aughts and the tens, Club for Growth cultivated a class of conservatives that rode the Tea Party wave into Congress post-Obama, cutting taxes, not moving the debt ceiling, free trade, and of course, the litany of government spending and entitlements from the Obama administration, including bailouts, cash for clunkers, and the big one, Obamacare. In 2013, the Club for Growth Super PAC's donors included Peter Thiel, an early backer of Facebook, co-founder of PayPal, and current Republican mega-donor. He, in that year, 2013, gave $2 million among the highest. Just go ahead and file that away for later in this story. Because it's 2015 where things are about to get spicy. This is the first time that the Club for Growth announces that they will work to secure one of their preferred candidates, the GOP nomination for president. Among them are some of their favorite talent, people that they helped get into Congress and the Senate to begin with. Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, Jeb Bush, and Rand Paul. Now, here's another name that you're really going to want to remember, because he's really one of the two main characters in this story. Club for Growth President David McIntosh. This is back in 2015. Had this to say. Five candidates are at the forefront of the Republican presidential field on issues of economic freedom, and the Club for Growth PAC is standing with them to help them stand out from the rest. He then went on to say that Cruz and Rubio were, quote unquote, the gold standard of Republican presidential candidates. But of course, in that race, 
there was only one name that would come to define everything. I am officially running for President of the United States, and we are going to make our country great again. And so, since Club for Growth was all in on Cruz and all in on Rubio, they effectively became an anti-Donald Trump attack factory. $1 million in Iowa advertising, $1.5 million in Florida advertising. And those were only some of the more gaudy buys. They did so in each and every one of the primary states, trying at every turn to bat down the runaway momentum of the eventual 45th president. In March 2016, Politico reported that the Club for Growth PAC planned to deny congressional endorsements to any candidates who endorsed Donald Trump's presidential bid before his nomination was clinched. Also in March 2016, the PAC endorsed Ted Cruz for president, something that they had never done before. According to McIntosh, quote, this year is different because there's a vast gulf between the two leading Republican candidates on matters of economic liberty. Their records make it clear that Ted Cruz is a consistent conservative who will fight to shrink the federal footprint, while Donald Trump would seek to remake the government in his desired image, end quote. Now, let's take a moment here to understand the risk that that was because Club for Growth is in the business of picking winners. They survey the field, they decide who they want to win, they put a bunch of money behind them, and each and every time that that person might need to go for re-election, they will also make sure that they have kept their views aligned with the Club for Growth between those two election days. They normally don't endorse for president because they don't want somebody who could be the most powerful person in the party for which they endorse candidates out of to be mad at them. So the fact that they went all in on Cruz when he looked like a long shot against Donald Trump is something very much notable. And it's a bet that blew up in their face because, as of course, Trump wins. But, you know, what's D.C. without a good makeup sesh? The two eventually wind up getting together and McIntosh becomes somebody who is on the inner circle of Trump's organization. There are plenty of quotes that say that as far as Trump went, nobody had more of a sway on who he should endorse than McIntosh. However, just because Trump valued his opinion and Trump did try to influence McIntosh on certain people that uh, he wanted Club for Growth to stay away from, he still made the final calls. Now, Trump loved this tag team. He crowed at events that the Club for Growth and Trump world made for an undefeated team. Four years later, the club supports the unsuccessful re-election campaign of Donald Trump in 2020, which brings us to now. Our first big dust up between these two comes in Ohio, the election that we just covered for you two weeks ago. Through the final few weeks, there were two candidates that mattered, J.D. Vance and Josh Mandel. Mandel is a club for growth favorite. The club had supported his previously unsuccessful bid against Sherrod Brown. 
On the other side, a pack called Protect Ohio Values, which was behind J.D. Vance and was almost entirely bankrolled by former club mega donor Peter Thiel. Trump endorses Vance. The club then steps up their negative ads against that candidate. Club for Growth Action poured more than $8 million into the Ohio race, and over $3.5 million came after Trump's mid-April endorsement and went entirely to television and digital ads opposing Vance. The ads themselves largely centered around Vance's past criticism of Trump and took shots at Trump for backing the wrong guy. So not only do they put themselves on opposite sides of the ballot, but the club for growth ads are specifically tailored to Trump as a force within the party. As you can understand, Trump world is not happy and begins to pick on Club for Growth by name. Donald Trump Jr. on the campaign trail with Vance attacks the Club for Growth as the, quote, club for Chinese growth. And the New York Times reported that through his assistant, Donald Trump, after requesting that the club stop running the Trump-centric ads that knocked down Vance after the club refused to do that, the 45th president of the United States had his uh, assistant send this text, go F yourself, end quote. He didn't censor it. In J.D. Vance's victory speech, there was yet another attack on the club for growth in which the GOP nominee called it, quote, one of the grossest organizations in professional establishment Washington, end quote. So, you know, you would think that that's just a little bit of a flare up, right? You know, it's just, hey, you want to know every once in a while, Mandel was was a guy that the club loved from the jump. J.D. Vance is a newcomer. Let's just agree to disagree. Trump won. Okay. Yada, yada, yada. Bunch of money got wasted. But uh, at least all the media markets in Ohio are a little richer. That's it, right? Because... You know, otherwise, up and down, you know, for the rest of the primaries, Club for Growth and Trump are backing the same people. You know, club wouldn't pick an unnecessary fight, would they? I grew up on a pig farm in southern Alabama. No insulation, no running water. This country allowed a little black girl to claw her way from underneath the rock. But that America, with all those opportunities, is fast coming to a close. Democrats are serious when they say fundamentally change this country. And by fundamentally change, they mean screw it up real good. This is about the survival of our nation. And we need people who understand that. Club for Growth Action is responsible for the content of this ad. That's an ad for Kathy Barnett, a candidate whose media footprint was almost non-existent in her race to capture the Pennsylvania GOP Senate nomination until she started showing signs of life in the polls. And guess who stepped in to make sure that her face and message was on television and on the internet by way of ad buys with only hours to go until Election Day. Yup, the Club for Growth! 
Why? According to the Washington Post, well, because now it's a pissing contest. Quote, people close to McIntosh and the group say that the last minute intervention for Barnett is partly about getting even after Trump's choice won in Ohio and partly about reasserting their independence from the future president or sorry, from the former president. We'll, we'll check check in in uh, two, two years and change if that was a Freudian slip. Either way, we now know that the club is 0 for 2 going head to head against Trump since Barnett finished third. According to CNN, the club's board members and donors have become frustrated with McIntosh as worries mount that the club's historic influence could slip if its relationship with Trump permanently sours. But sources for the Post and the Times suggest that McIntosh is confident that just like after 2016, everyone will be able to kiss and make up again. You know. Unless the club starts spending money on Brian Kemp in the last week of his campaign. Which they won't, because they're already backing Purdue in Georgia. Right? They wouldn't. Right? Hey, speaking of Georgia, let's do a real quick preview of where these races stand as we move into primary day. Now, heads up, at the point of this recording, there are not a ton of new polls about this. I assure you we will probably get some more as we land in Georgia because that's normally when they when the, when they come out, but as of now, here's where we stand. Herschel Walker will be the Republican nominee for Senate. He's currently rocking an over 50 percentage point lead, according to the Real Clear Politics average, which looks similar to an SEC college football spread when one of the major schools is playing a community college program. Walker will assuredly match up with current Senator Raphael Warnock, where either one of two things is going to happen. Nobody is going to talk about domestic violence or it will be the only thing discussed by both candidates since they both have ugly incidents in their past. Which brings us to the real reason why we are headed out. David Perdue versus Brian Camp. Now, few people not named Cheney, are higher on Donald Trump's kill bill list than the current governor of Georgia, Camp. And yet, Trump's chosen challenger of Purdue looks to be dead in the water. Kemp leads him by a uh, real clear politics average of 22.3. But here's the rub. Kemp needs over 50% of the vote to avoid a runoff. In polls, he is currently running barely over 50%, 53, 52, you get my drift. Now, even if Kemp could not secure a victory on Tuesday and he barely fell below 50%, I don't know if things would be much different in a runoff. The fundamentals are the fundamentals. It looks like Donald Trump has checked out of this race and David Perdue looks to, well, just kind of be a loser here. I mean, he did eat an L against John Ossoff. That one's hard to wash off. 
I did not mean that to rhyme. But still, anything can happen in politics, and Purdue extending this race would be the closest thing he's going to get to a victory on Tuesday. The real thing that we are looking for in Georgia is the rise of the Trumpless Republican throughout everything that has swirled around Donald Trump since he came onto the stage in 2015 down that golden escalator, there has been the question of if you are not directly loyal to Trump, what role do you have in the Republican Party? And we have seen never Trump Republicans. In fact, a lot of that Club for Gross stuff in the first segment was about funding never Trump Republicans. Turns out they're a dying breed. That's a bad brand. It doesn't really plug into the voters that you need to excite. But the live without Trump Republican, you know, we got a diet version of that with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, somebody who very much was playing to some of the sentiments that have animated Donald Trump's voters, but did not want Trump to come and campaign for him. But Kemp would be a horse of a different color because Trump actively hates that man. And he probably hates Brad Raffensperger even more, the secretary of state in Georgia. He was the one that leaked the phone call uh, about the, the finding X amount of votes that came out within 48 hours before the runoff election. Raffensperger's also looking at a primary challenger, and he looks like he might advance as well. That would be something. And to me, if you are looking at the you know, D&D classes that you can choose when you want to run for any kind of office, but especially statewide and national offices, the emergence of this specific kind of, you know, night elf Republican. Oh, that'd be interesting because I do think it opens up a wide variety for folks who want to get elected, but don't necessarily want to kiss the ring of Donald John Trump. I've said this before, uh, and I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to say it again. Guys, nobody in political media is as dumb as I am. Nobody wants to do the work that I do in the way that I do it. There are plenty of national traveling reporters. A lot of them. I see them. I see them all at the same events over and over and over again. I'm probably going to see a bunch of them at at the Kemp uh, Pence rally on Monday. But they get paid. <laughs> I mean, they, they get like a, a salary. They get benefits. They get uh, uh, all their travel paid. They get a card where they can just put things on the card. And when stuff breaks down, like it did for me in Pennsylvania, and I got to switch my flight at the last minute, and then I got to get an extra rental car because the rental car counter line that I was waiting in would not have allowed me to get to that Barnett Mastriano event. So I had to rent another rental car. I'm still going to fight to see whether or not I can get my money back. But if you're one of those reporters, you don't care, right? Because that's just, you know, your job is to be there to get the story. You, You throw the card down and you let accounting figure it out. 
I ain't got an accounting department. <laughs> I got a bank account, and that bank account is finite. Normally, if you're a successful podcaster, you just sit at your house and you talk about all the reports that everybody else is reading and you interpret the cave paintings however you want to do it. But nobody's this dumb. Nobody wants to take the money you get from talking about politics on the internet and fritter it away doing the stuff that I do, which is actually flying out, actually seeing these campaigns, actually getting sound for you guys. But I'm that stupid. Because I am in dumb love with getting you guys this information. I really do think that it matters. I think that it makes my coverage better. And I wish more people did it so I didn't feel so alone. But if you want to sate my loneliness, you can do so with money. <laughs> that I will undoubtedly spend flying to go see some dumb race. I mean, you heard the excitement in my voice when I said that I was legitimately super excited to see Brian Kemp and Mike Pence together. This is a problem for me. Support my habit. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you go. Uh, uh, become a $3 club member. You're going to get the uh, 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 stuff early. I mean, here's the way it worked in Pennsylvania. It's going to work again in Georgia. I'm going to get everything that I can get Saturday and Sunday and then put it together for uh, patron members early. You guys are going to get Sunday along with the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show because I didn't take a week off on that, by the way. I continued to do the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show. I did that in addition to editing all, all my road stuff together and putting that out to you guys early. You also get the Thursday podcast, the late edition. That's going to be the latest that we cover anything in the political week. That's $3, man. It's three bucks a week, but you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. And guys, nobody is more valuable to me than the folks who put their hard-earned cash into the, uh, uh, the, the, the PX3 ecosystem. Uh, know that it is my duty to make sure that you guys get your money's worth, especially in an economic environment like this. It means a ton. I greatly appreciate it. I'm only going to Georgia because of you guys. If you'd like to join this campaign, it's very easy. TakePoliticsSeriously.com When Russia invaded Ukraine, there was obviously a tremendous uproar. It had been a long time since the United States had watched a war like this unfold that we weren't directly a part of. But it also brought a active, hot war zone closer to some of the European communities that were ravaged by World War II. It was something that jarred a lot of people. And as war footage tends to be, it was a violent, awful, awful, brutal sight to see. Made only worse by the fact that we can now record high-definition pictures and videos and upload it directly from our phones. I know that there's a lot of different ways to react to it. Donating money, 
changing your Twitter avatar, putting your uh, Ukrainian flag in your handle. But there is one thing that many have done, and that is directly move themselves from wherever they are into the you know outskirts of, of the war zone and help physically. One of those people is one of our frequent guests here on this show. He is a comedian and uh, most recently in terms of the topics that we've had him on here for, a concerned father. But he comes on today as somebody that I think did something legitimately inspiring and brave. Brian Sack. Brian, welcome back to the show. Hello, Justin. Uh, well, I, I think this is going to be an awesome, this is going to be an awesome moment for, for the program and especially your appearances on here, because I don't know if a single person could be mad at you, uh, uh after, after right. we tell the story that we are about to tell right now, uh, right. uh you just arrived back stateside from yeah. spending how long on the Polish Ukrainian border? I was there at two months. I got there right after the, the special operation started. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and so let, let's, let's, let's take all the way back to the beginning, okay. uh, uh, where, I mean, I, I know your, your, uh, wife is, is Polish, but like, I, I don't know your connections to this, uh, br- br- bring me there from, from step one. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm married to a, a Polish woman, uh, who I met in 1999 in an Irish pub in Paris, just like I planned Perfect. it. Yeah. And uh, so we've been married for over 20 years, and I've been going to Poland pretty much on a regular basis because of that uh, for Christmas holidays or sometimes Easter's and the summers, especially when we had the kids. Uh, our kids would spend a lot of time there, at least we'd drop, you know, drop them off there. So we have a connection to Poland. And uh, to the point where my youngest son used to think he was born in Poland, he would tell people, like, <laughs> I'm from Poland. I'm like, no, dude, you're not. You were born in New York City. Yeah. Uh, but he, you know, he spent so much time there. So, and I, and I love Poland and I love my in-laws. I have great in-laws. I lucked out. I won the in-law lottery. So when the, when this stuff started and I got engaged in social media and was kind of watching these videos and reading the news reports, it really hit home with me because everybody I saw being displaced or killed or the buildings being destroyed, everything was familiar to me. Yeah. Because there's there's a common architecture across Eastern Europe that that legacy of communism left a lot of ugly buildings. Um, you know the the people, the language. Uh, it, it was all just hitting me home, hitting home, and it, and it was really bothering me greatly. And so I wanted to do something, and I didn't know what to do. I'm not. I don't think I've ever changed my profile picture uh, for you know some cause or anything yeah. like that. I, I yeah. always find that very superficial and silly. Uh, and, and so I, I wanted to do something. I talked to my wife. I said, what can I do? I, you know, maybe, maybe I should go fight. And she's like, don't be ridiculous. You'd, you'd die. And I was like, good point. Point taken. Uh, and she's in the culinary world. She has a, a Polish blog for a cooking blog uh, okay. that basically takes American recipes and things. It's called America Through the Back Door. America au Kuchni takes uh, Polish or American recipes and kind of converts them for a Polish audience based on what they have available in their markets and things. That's mm. a very clever idea. Yeah. It's super great. niche. Yeah, yeah. It's niche. I mean, but. Uh, so she was aware of this organization called World Central Kitchen. Yes. Uh, run that by is, a, is a chef. Yeah, yeah. Jose Andres's uh, uh, organization, right? Right. Which I knew nothing about. Never heard of it. Gotcha. And so we looked up the website and I said, well, they basically just need bodies. They need people with hands to do things. 
And I said, sign me up. So she signed me up. And a few days later, I was in Warsaw. Uh, her friend picked me up. I got an hour nap. And then my, I met my brother-in-law who handed me a car. And I drove about four and a half hours south uh, toward Shemesh. Which, which is, is, which is on, on, on the border. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the Shemesh is a, is a town on, uh, it's about 12 kilometers from the border. Medica is the town that's right on the border. Uh, but the facility, what, what World Central Kitchen calls the uh, Relief Operations Center, the ROC, was in Premish, and it was a, basically a warehouse. Yeah, that was empty. Okay, so so uh, but before we get to what happens while you're there, right. I, yeah. I do want to dwell a little bit on uh, uh, obviously your your wife draws the line at uh, uh, picking <laughs> up weapons and yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, firing at Putin's uh, forces, but. Uh, uh, is there a thought of like, all right, well, uh, sure. It is admirable that you want to go, but also, you know, you're, you're, uh, uh, uh I'm sure she would prefer for you to, to still be there is, you know, uh, how, how much of, of that process uh, do you have to go through or is it, does she just understand I got to go and that's it? Oh, she a hundred percent understood. Yeah. A hundred percent was like, she's like, you know, not only, you know, she's like, if you want to go, uh, you should go. And, and I, I think it's great. And, uh, um, and she was hundred percent behind it. She said, I'll make, I'll make things work. I'll, I'll figure out, you know, what we do with the kids. And so, uh, and the dog and everything else. And, uh, so what she basically got her mother who's in Poland to fly yeah. out here to watch the dog. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, okay. So there was a little, a little, uh, a, a, a domestic exchange there. So you, yeah. you go to Poland, she comes to America. So, yeah, the mom comes here to help watch the dog. And, uh, and I go over there and I take the mom's car. So that worked out great. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And uh, and then I, I begun I began my uh, my little adventure. And so this is you don't know anything about World Central Kitchen. You you right. obviously feel a connection to Eastern Europe because of all the time that you spend in Poland. But other than that, right. that's that's pretty much you. You know, you are you are going in blank in, in the same way that I'm sure all of our listeners and trying to imagine themselves in this situation would. Yeah, I had no idea what they what they want me to do, uh, what was expected of me or anything. I. Um, I just, I just had a mission and I, I went, uh, like so many of us who have watched the pictures and videos of what's happening in Ukraine and, and you see the kind of desolation and, and destruction and, and the, the distraught nature, uh, you know, on the faces of everybody that's been either displaced or killed, uh, how did the media representation of you know what's going on there match up to what you saw when you first got there? You know, I, I didn't watch a single thing. Well, it's funny. I was so immersed in everything uh, before I left. I was so yeah. sitting in New York looking at, you know, looking at Twitter, basically, and, and these and Telegram channels that carried footage and things. Uh, but as soon as I arrived, I, I was completely ob oblivious to what was going on, actually. Okay. I was 100% I, I focused on, on the mission, and I, I was not checking the news. There really wasn't time to check the news. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, so I just know what I... Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, I mean more like from the moment that you know you're you're watching these things from afar to the moment that you get there, like yeah. it, it is, it is, I assume, just as as a uh, uh, harrowing. I mean, a hundred percent, even more so because I mean, you're just right there, and you're seeing the, I mean, especially when I was at Medica on the border, uh, in the very first couple of days, and you know, you know, we're now what seventy days or so into this, but then everything was so fresh and new, like everybody was in shock coming over that border. And they, you know, they had been standing in line for hours on the Ukraine side to cross over. Uh, they were leaving their, their, the boys behind 18 to 60, the males, 18 to 60 had to stay in Ukraine. They couldn't. Leave. Yeah. Uh, so all I was seeing were, were, 
it was women and children and elderly. And, you know, most of them in a state of shock, um, you know, a lot of tears, a lot of just staring off into the distance. I mean, they're carrying their kids and their luggage with them and puppies. And, uh, and, it, and it was just really, I mean, it, it's, it was probably the most emotional thing I'd ever seen. Um, and so, you know, right then and there is when the beginning of my emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, because you'd see that, but then you'd look and you'd see all these people helping. And I was constantly reminded of the Mr. Rogers quote, look for the helpers. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking and there were, there were tents all there. So as you come across the border from, uh, from Ukraine, you go into Medica at the crossing and you see all these tents and there were people from all over. It was really fascinating. And you did like a, a tent of Sikhs and you had a Chinese tent and you had, I mean, just all these different people in world central kitchen and everybody's giving things away, food or SIM cards, uh, pet supplies, toiletries, diapers, uh, basically just handing them out luggage in some cases, um, just suitcases for people to carry stuff. Yeah. And so that was really lovely to see, but then, you know, you just w- w- watching all these people just kind of shuffling by whose lives have been completely upended by this demon. And, yeah. uh, and it was really hard. And, um, yeah, especially early on, I was extremely emotional. It was, you know, it's not something you're used to seeing. And, and um, Initially, when I was handing out hot chocolate to, to I wanted to make kids laugh. I guess that's the entertainer in me. Uh-huh. All I wanted to do was to kind of show kids like a, a, be a point of light in this horribly dark time. And so I would I would uh, I learned how to say hot chocolate in Ukrainian. I would offer hot chocolate to the kids. And then when they took it, I'd say New York recipe uh-huh. in English. And, and I'd get a laugh, you know, yeah. I get smiles and things. And, and that really made my day. That so is that, that is, simple. That is a great audience to kill with. Is, yeah. is uh, 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 the the Ukrainian refugee that that has to be right. you know worth worth a thousand laughs uh, in yeah. in in the regular world? You know, I just yeah. There was one there. was one girl on. I remember I gave her the hot chocolate. I said you know, New York recipe, and I smiled and I walked away. And then she goes, "Thank you very much." And I turned oh around and like, God. "You are welcome." And oh. you know, as, as American accent, I could say, and and we both smiled. And that I, I mean, I just I remember that. I remember that forever. It made me incredibly happy. That is, I mean, I, I literally have goosebumps. Literally, did you, you know, saying that it yeah. is, it is so cinematic. Uh, uh, so, World Central Kitchen. Uh, yes. uh, this is an organization that I have followed actually on Twitter through uh, Jose Andres' social media feed, uh, uh, and and know of them going to various different natural disaster sites or or certain conflicts. Uh, but from your perspective as a, a volunteer, what is your role in the operation? Well, I mean, initially I just, you know, I knew they had, they were looking for cooks and they were looking for people to do things. And yes. so I, I'm not really a cook. So I was in the to do <laughs> thing category. Put me down for doing things. <laughs> so, yeah. So I uh, basically the first day I, sh- I walk in there, I, I meet the, the volunteer coordinator, Teresa, this lovely woman from Mexico. And. Uh, and I'm like, what do you want me to do? And she just points to a bunch of these boxes. They're called Cambros, the thermal boxes. They were sending food out in them. Uh, basically, pre- prepared meals were being put in these thermal boxes. And they come back sloppy, messy. She goes, I need you to clean these. And there was like 30 Cambros, right? Set about cleaning boxes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, is it, maybe this is what I'll be doing. I don't know. Uh, but this, things just evolved over time because there was so much chaos, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Because you know, World Central Kitchen, what I've learned now, you know, when there's a hurricane coming, say Puerto Rico is going to get a hurricane, yeah. they know this, they can see it coming. So they'll send an advanced team down there and they will prepare before the hurricane so that when the hurricane is over, they can open up the garage doors and out comes the food. Right. Yeah. But this was totally different. Nobody thought 
Putin was this much of a nut job. And so there was really no preparation. So when it started, they went down there and they found an empty warehouse in Chemev and, and said, OK, this has to be a kitchen that can make a lot of meals. And so then I got caught into that. So we had to build a kitchen. Um, I mean, there was no plumbing in this place. There was not a enough electrical capacity for commercial ovens. There was no walk-in cooler. And in a matter of days, uh, we had plumbing, uh, electricians coming in, putting in you know, major wow. voltage. Yeah, so we can put in 12 commercial ovens. And, and a huge walk-in cooler was built in about two and a half days. And it was just this just frenzy of, of action. Everybody just doing their thing. You know, you'd have 15 boxes arrive be dumped off a truck and be, what's that? Oh, Brian, those are, you know, stainless steel tables. They need to be assembled. So then so there there's my go. day, you know, yeah. there we go. <laughs> uh, wire shelving from, you know, it looked like Ikea, like your worst Ikea nightmare. Imagine, imagine just like you know, looking at 30 boxes of wire shelving and being told you need to build All that. Of them. Okay. All of yeah, them. Yeah. Do that. And so that I just, my goal was to make myself useful and that's what I did. And so, uh, you know, I never, it was always something in my hands, whether it was a piece of trash or, you know, something that needed to be carried somewhere. If they, I saw them loading a truck, I'd run over, I'd help them load the truck. If I saw them unloading a truck, I'd help them unload the truck. I just stayed busy constantly. And you're running on adrenaline. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was exhausted after a few days. I mean, everything hurt, but during the day it didn't. Cause you were just going as soon as, was, as, you as, had soon a as you, yeah, yeah, your and, feet hit the floor. Now yeah. it's, it, it's rocking and rolling until, until you get whatever sleep you can. And everybody was the same. Everybody's just, you know, we're all doing a good thing and we yeah. know it. And that's so energizing. And so we're just, you know, loading trucks, unloading trucks, carrying things, throwing things away, building things, cleaning things, whatever. Uh, but we're part of this machine that's doing good. And uh, it was very, very empowering and exhausting. You, your fellow volunteers, how many of them are there and where do they come from? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it's really what a I mean, just an amazing group of people. And uh, some came for the long haul. Others came and went. Um, I mean, I met Portugal, uh, Spain, uh, Spain, um, all over the United States. I mean, Texas, Hawaii, Massachusetts, New York, Florida, California, Arizona, you know, um, the UK, uh, Japan. Well, actually, he's, he's a Japanese guy who lives in Finland. I mean, just like people yeah. came from from all over the place, uh, Spain, Barcelona, um, you know, it was just, and, and, and we're all there for the same reason. And so we all, and we all go to, I mean, it's a, I formed really close friendships with people uh, very quickly. And, um, and, and, and I miss them dearly. Like I, I've, I've been you know, back just a you know, little bit now. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm just missing them. They, they were such great people. And I think part of it is everybody shared that one common quality uh, that, you know, they came there to help. No matter yeah. what their backstory was, because the backstories were fascinating. I mean, I, I worked with a former soap opera star. Okay. Um, it was just this, he was a soap, soap opera, opera star from, in the nineties. From, from the 90s. America or? Another world. Yeah. Another world. Uh, he was on another world. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, I mean, and then it, there was a Marine Corps helicopter pilot, 30 year veteran. There was a jet blue pilot. Uh, there was uh, just a musician uh, who just had a concert last night in Warsaw, which he ended with a Ukrainian song. Uh, there was a gentleman from Nashville, another musician. Um, I mean, there, there were uh, investment bankers. There was a celebrity chef, Mark uh, Mark Murphy, who has, a, so, I guess, he has a, a show on Food Network or something like that. Yeah, I, I, it's it's amazing as you list this down because there doesn't seem to be a a one common thread when when no. when, when when the musicians are there with the investment bankers who are there with the pilots who are there yeah. with the soap opera stars. Then, like, yeah. you know, there it, it just is is something other than 
occupation that is that is bringing people uh, or, or identifying with with whatever temperament it takes to go out there. Yeah, I was talking to this one guy for about half an hour, just chatting and chatting and chatting. And then somebody's like, you know who that was? I'm like, no, that's Lee Schreiber. I'm like, uh, I mean, I'm like, oh, sounds, really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, that sounds vaguely familiar. And then I look him up. I'm like, oh, actor. Right. Got it. Actor, OK. Gotcha. OK. That's uh, that's that's nuts. That's that's but, totally insane. So yeah. uh, uh, how big does the operation get like from from a staffing size? Like you show up and there's how many people buzzing around? And then by the time you leave, there's how many? Uh, yeah, well, there, I mean, there are drivers, the, the drivers are Ukrainian mostly uh, or Polish because they were driving into Ukraine. They didn't want anybody who wasn't Ukrainian driving into Ukraine, uh, which makes sense. Um, and so there were, you know, so there's a bunch of drivers. Um, and then there were a bunch of the, the warehouse gang was a handful of guys who I got to know very well. Uh, they were all Polish. Um, and then you had the volunteer, you had the volunteer, they had the cooks uh, mostly. Um, there were several of them. Um, and then there were, it was like a head chef and, you know, number wise, it's hard. And then there's a distribution team. They were all Ukrainian girls uh, who were just the loveliest people in the world. And, um, I, you know, number wise, I don't, don't know. It's really hard. I never really stopped. Yeah, like a cu- couple, couple dozen. I would, uh, it, it sounds from, from, yeah, well, you're at least, yeah. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, you know, I would say easily, you know, 50, 60 people uh, running around doing things. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, and people would come and go. Um, You'd meet people. Oh my God. One of my favorites, the Australian dude. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's such a blur. My God. Um, what was your question? <laughs> I think we got it. Uh, I, got, uh, I got lost. No, it's fine. It's fine. I was just trying to get a sense of, of operationally how many people are there, but, but uh, I want to talk about what happens as you are meeting the refugees. So, so the, the role of world central kitchen is obviously to feed people. And then it sounds like any kind of relief that is coming in from anywhere. If they need a thing, then hopefully you guys can provide the thing for them. What was an average story of, of where people were going to go once they crossed the border? Like, like did, did, did you get a sense of knowing like what, what, what their journey was or what their plans were? Yeah. I mean, it was a mix. So, um, you know, you had some people who may, might've had relatives somewhere in Europe. And so they had a place to go. Yeah. You had others uh, who had no idea what they were going to do. So there was a Tesco, which is a big grocery mm-hmm. store. Yep. And they had converted that into a refugee center. And, okay. and that was just, like, especially at the beginning of just this incredible mass of humanity. Uh, lit, I mean, just the, the conditions were not very pleasant. I mean, just wall to wall beds and kids screaming and people trying to sleep, but you can't because the lights are always on and uh, just this cacophony going on and but they would have uh there was a section where you could sign up for buses to take you to various places in europe okay uh, and then you'd have to sit and wait for the bus which might be in a day or two uh they had a train the train came uh at chemish uh, Glova, the main train station there they had trains that would take you to krakow or, or uh, various other places jeshuv and other places um so at the very beginning i mean everybody was just kind of in chemish and, and Medica and trying to figure out where they were going. And then slowly as, as the you know time went on, they wound up in Warsaw and Krakow and that's when they had huge influxes there. And it kind of changed our dynamic because now you had a lot of people who were in Warsaw and Krakow who needed food. So they started opening up facilities there to, to oh, take care of wow. them there. Yeah. Um, and then I noticed, you know, ours kind of slowed down a little bit in the, in the, in the, you know, the, la- the second month because a lot of the, the initial wave, you had that initial wave of people getting the hell out. Right. Yeah. And then as Russia just 
completely kind of in, their invasion imploded. Um, the people on the who lived in the West, who came from the West of Ukraine, felt more confident. And so they started to stream back. So in the last gotcha. few weeks, I saw, you know, there was a mix of people from the East who are coming and people from the West who are going back. Because they they felt, all right, this is not the the countrywide invasion that that uh, of the Russians had had maybe hoped for. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, maybe we can go back on, which is yeah. encouraging. <laughs> Yeah, they say, OK, the Russian army actually sucks and uh, I'm feeling kind of <laughs> confident. Yeah. Uh, uh, wow. I mean, I I, I, I want to ask you about the the expectation of uh, how long this thing was was, you know, going to last, because you obviously go out there very, very early in the process. Uh, but I know from afar, this has been a very unpredictable situation from the very beginning to the point where, like, I, I don't know how I would bet if I were forced to say this is going to end tomorrow at any point over the last two months or go on for the next eight years. It just seems so off off the rails while you're there. Is there any sense of like, well, like this will be a week, this will be two weeks, this will be a month like uh, uh, or, or do you just give up on any expectation? I They fully anticipate this to be a long haul. OK, um, because even, I mean, even if you're going back to Mariupol, which doesn't mm-hmm. really exist anymore, which is gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't have a home. Um, I, the, um, what I learned or what I believe was going to happen is they will move their operations uh, eastward as, as the Russians move eastward. Gotcha. So they will kind of come in and, and fill in the gap and provide food for people who need it. So there'll be less of a demand, you know, on the border and there'll be more of a demand, you know, going into inside. Ukraine. We have Western yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. And of course, you know, and if you think about, I mean, I think there is a looming crisis with regard to food because any kind of farming and Ukraine yeah. is, is hugely agricultural hasn't happened. I mean, you have, you know, plantings didn't happen. You have farms that are mined. Uh, so that's going to have a devastating consequence uh, in, in, you know, coming into the fall. So they, they fully anticipate needing to feed people for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of whatever activity if, if, is happening. If Putin militarily. The tomorrow. Yeah. If, yeah. No, know. yeah. They, they have a lot of work. World central kitchen has a lot of work ahead of it. No matter what, no matter what. Uh, when do you make the decision that uh, it, it's time to come home? Well, so this, what happened is I, you know, my, my goal when I got there was like, I'm going to make myself value. And so I, I just, I busted my ass. And after a couple of weeks, I got taken aside and they said, we think you're valuable. And uh, would you like cool. to contract? Yeah. And I said, would you like to contract with us? And I said, okay. Um, and they said, well, how long would you be willing to stay? And I said, how about, you know, end of April, early May. Yeah. And they said, sold. <laughs> and so I signed up for it and, and I was very happy to do so. I mean, I, you know, as, um, as, you know, as draining as the, the work was, it was just, you're running on adrenaline and you, you know, it's, I, I got, you know, it's, that, it's having that mission, that purpose, knowing that what you're doing is, is a good thing that is just so energizing. And then, you know, the camaraderie with your, you know, your colleagues is, just, you know, there was a bar in, in the, in the uh, chemistry called Bar Nejviadek, uh, which means bear cub. And, and that became like the cheers for all the humanitarian workers in gotcha. the area, not just the world, but like everybody. And it was the most loveliest place. It had this, there was a wartime vibe to it because we, you know, we were all doing this thing. And then at nights we'd be at this place and you know, in one corner, you'd have the Spanish contingent 
uh, from some Spanish humanitarian thing. And they're all playing, they're singing songs and playing like mandolin. And it was the most beautiful thing. And then our group just talking and we had, you know, so many diverse people talking, joking. And, and uh, it was just, you know, a wonderful, wonderful place. And I, I went there so much. I got it. The, the bar, the owner handed me a pair of socks, the Juliets, which is the beer. He's like, these are for you. The promotional socks. I was like, thank you very much. That's amazing. You have, but, you uh, have Polish beer socks now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it was just the, the, the ambiance there was just so wonderful because it was just filled with, with all these people. And of course the town was in shock because they, you know, this is a small town. It's usually, you know, it might be a pit stop. If you're driving from Krakow to Lviv, you might yep. pop in there for a few minutes, but it's not a place that's used to any kind of level of tourism. And I mean, every hotel, Airbnb, uh, any space that was available was filled with either press or volunteers or refugees. And it was, you know, the, the businesses were just kind of stunned. I mean, I can only imagine that that's that's a lot to process if you are that small town in, yeah. in Poland, that all of a sudden just you have such a, a crush of humanity. I mean, you forget even the emotions that swirl around it and, and the resources that need to be reallocated to to yeah. take care of them. But just the amount of people has to be crazy for them. Yeah, it was it was absurd. I mean, it was, it was a lot of people were commuting, I, um, you know, coming in from Zeshuv, which is an hour away or uh, Yaroslav, which is about half an hour away because they just could not find accommodation in Przemysl, um, oh, especially, wow. especially as things got busier and busier. Um, you know, and then you, you, you had people. <clears throat> pardon me. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of fascinating. Some of the accommodation. So what would happen is my wife would just kind of email me to tell me where I'd be staying next. So she was oh, running really? all the yeah she was running the logistics back home and, and would uh, email me okay on this day you know, you'll be checking into this place so I'm checking into all these various places and, and one of my favorites was this uh, the pictures looked great it was a this modern apartment look it was like oh that looks really nice and and so I, I but it was on a gravestone factory and the, <laughs> and the dude was a workaholic so he likes to get to work at six thirty cutting those gravestones so I'm, I'm literally above a gravestone warehouse where this guy's downstairs like. Yeah. And I and I look out my window and it's crosses and eight weeping angels and uh, Mary and uh, giant slabs of granite. Oh, my God, dude. Every once in a while, you know, uh, uh, it's a, you know, if 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 God is a writer, sometimes he's a real hack. You know, it's like it's a little on the nose that you're living above the gravestone, uh, uh, you know, place during the active war zone. Yeah. A few a few weeks or last year, I wound up going to a, a a, a funeral uh, uh, with a friend of mine who I found out while I was on the plane was pregnant. And I'm like, Oh, it's just, just too hack. Come on. Yeah. Really? I'm going oh to a funeral God, yeah. with a pregnant woman. Let's, <laughs> let's get over it. Uh, so uh, uh, you posted, uh, I thought, you know, a, a tremendously emotional tweet thread about your last few days there and, and, and leaving. If you could uh, just tell everybody about that, because I, I, I found that very moving. Um, you know, you, you get, I mean, I was very close to what I was doing and I was very close to the people that I was doing it with. And I mean, genuinely, I'm not like a touchy feely type person or never have been, maybe I am now, but I mean, I, you know, I had my arm around people and just hugging people and just genuinely displaying levels of affection that I am not accustomed to doing. Uh, and I just felt incredibly close to these people and I did not want to leave it. Um, and I, as the day approached that I would be leaving, I got, I just, uh, you know, I got really kind of very sad. And then <clears throat> my final day there, um, 
the, the head of the operation, she came out and she gave a speech. And then I realized that she's giving the speech. It was about me. Oh, wow. so then I, then I started tearing up and then, you know, then they came out with the cakes that said, thank you. And then I'm like, Oh my God. Uh, and then they had this uh, musician, this guy, Nick Crook from Nashville. So he comes out and he plays a song. He's like, this is an original of mine, but it's, and he dedicated it to me and he plays a song. And, and like, the song was about a guy who you know comes to comes to a foreign place and meets all these great people. It was as if it was written for. So I, I mean, I just started bawling. <laughs> yeah, I just teared. I just couldn't help me. And then uh, Violetta, who's one of the girls I worked with, Polish girl from from the village or from Przemysl. I mean, she you know came over and consoled me, and I was just like this sobby mess for a bit, and then I got my act together. Uh, but yeah, I was just genuinely. Super sad to leave. And the, the, the night before, we we all went out to Bar Nejviadek, of course, because we had to. Yeah. Um, and I just had one of my most favorite nights. I mean, just like the the amount of just love, you know, just hugging everybody. And all these pictures of just me hugging the crap out of people. And um, and the, the owner of the bar handed me a book. It was a photo book of, of the town of Chemish. And they wrote a very nice thing inside the book for me. And it was just it was just a really lovely time evening. And then I was sad to leave. And I, as I drove away from Shemesh, I, I was crying again. Yeah. So it's been a lot of emotion the last two, two months. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine in, in any situation that I could compare in my life in the closest would be kind of crisis reporting things where you're, you're yeah. covering, you know, a, a murder or, or something horrible or you know, nine eleven or something like that, where, where, you know, everything is in chaos and you are just totally running on adrenaline. But even in anything that I could comp in my life, that adrenaline is the thing that's the hardest to shake. Like, yes. like, like it's, it's hard to return. You realize how stable and safe and, you know, sanded at the edges regular life is once you've, just been running at that super elevated level for, for a long time. Uh, have you adjusted to it now as we, as we talk? Nope. Nope. Not yet. <clears throat> Hoping. Um, yeah. That's the plan. I mean, I, you know, I've, I kind of dropped everything. You know, I had my podcast questionable material uh, with Jack and Brian, and I mm -hmm. kind of let that fall by the wayside. Um, you know, I'm trying to re-energize to do that. Um, I, um, yeah, it's been hard. I mean, and I've seen that. I, I know from people who have left before, see, because we all stay in touch now. And, and you know, I'm seeing yeah. all the messages, how hard it is. You know, everybody says the same thing. It's really, really hard to go from, you know, what's almost like a, a movie set you know, to yep. to normal life, to, to mundane things. Um, even, you know, proximity to a real war for two months has really um, made the culture war seem incredibly stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, I, I would imagine you know, to go to political comedy, which you are, you've got to dial in on a very specific, like, right. you know, uh, here's what AOC tweeted to Marjorie Taylor Greene right. level of, of, yeah. of, of inanity yeah. when, when you're yeah. before like, oh, I'm going to feed M women and children fleeing while yeah. like their husband and father are possibly dead. Like there's, there's just no comparison to, to dialing into that and no. taking it seriously. It's so incredibly dumb. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm scrolling through Twitter. I'm just like, Oh, you're an idiot. I'm unsubscribe or unfollow. No, that's just dumb. I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, there's just so much dumb and it's just not worth it. Yeah. People pissing, you know, pissing and moaning about stuff. That's just not important.
or making the, a big thing out, yeah, out of stuff is just not important. I just, I, I wound up like unfollowing a bunch of people. I'm like, yeah, I'll, you're just a shit stirrer, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I just, and I don't want to be bothered with that stuff anymore. I um, mean, it is just, it's, it's, it is in, in its own way, such a sign of luxury, right? Like such a sign right. of, of, of stability that we, and I mean, hell, like we, I, we both made, make a living in the space that is carved out, the, the the land is so fat that we can carve out a lane of just talking about this one specific thing, and that is and that is a a a, 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 a career when you realize like from where you've been, boy is it all fragile. Like boy, yeah. boy, boy does it go from sixty to zero real fast sometimes. Real fast, yeah. It's yeah. It's just like it really puts your priorities in order. And my, and my wife has always said that. I mean, she grew up in you know, in Poland and has, has always said, you know, Americans are so spoiled they don't understand how good they have it. And unless you travel and kind of get out there, and that's one of the reasons I've traveled so much with my kids, is to yeah. show them like you know, a lot of the world is terrible. You know, you know <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, but we've been yeah. in, you know oh, no. terrible places. I'm like, hey, look, kids, this is terrible. You know, this, they don't have electricity there. You know, there's no plumbing. This guy's rolling a, an oil drum down the street. So don't complain about the Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, but, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be back. It'll be back in a second. That guy's oil drum uh, is going to have to you know serve out for the rest of his life, likely. Right. No, so. I mean, that was I that was in Namibia and that was very eye opening. Um, so as we're talking, I just see this text message pop up from one of my favorite people uh, that I worked with. So this, this guy, Alex. Mm-hmm. So we're out one night at Nechviadek and I, I'm like, um, some people were asking, where are you from? Where, and he goes, where do you think I'm from? And I looked at him. And I was like, it's like, you look kind of Dutch to me. And he goes, well, it's funny you say that I have Dutch citizenship. And I said, but you're not Dutch. He, and he says, no. And I said, oh, Gavaris Poruski Jensik, which is, do you speak Russian? Because I took Russian in college. And he said, yeah. da. He, mm-hmm. goes, he, he says, da. I'm like, interesting. I said, so what brings a Russian here? And he said, guilt and shame. Jesus. And he cut contact with his family. He said they were living in a different world, uh, just a fantasy world where Russia's in the right. And he could not stomach that. So he and I uh, had been together for a long time. I mean, he was there for at least over a month. Um, And I just see the text now that he's leaving today. And he says he's not crying. But of course, the picture says otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he's going to, you know, he said the. uh, He's asking if it if it gets easier, and I'm going to joke and tell him that it doesn't. But um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, this is a it's a thing that happened. I I I really 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 just want to underline uh, there are people who want to do good. I think that that is the vast majority of humanity, and then there are people who actually do stuff. And so watching you go and do that was something. That was tremendously inspirational for me watching your process. And I thank you so much for sharing your story because uh, I think it is an extraordinarily touching one. Thank you. And, you know, it's it's addictive. I've already let them know that I want to go back. And if they need me, I'll go. Um, yeah, because I, I do think there's an, an well, addiction that's, that's to this. The other now. Thing. That's the other thing is there is an addiction to that adrenaline, man. Like and, yeah. and, and especially when there's purpose. I mean, I remember talking to uh, uh, war reporters or reporters that were in Israel. I was in Israel. I was talking to other reporters and they're like, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a junkie thing. You just right. can't, you know, especially it, this is the early two thousands when the Intifada was, was, you know, much hotter than it was that it is now. And they're like, yeah, there's just, I can't not be around the craziest stuff ever. I can't just go back to Chicago and, and, and cover, even though that's, it's a, we, 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 you know, 
look at crime in American cities and certainly if anybody's dead, that it's a bad thing. It's not Israel. It's not right. it's not suicide right. bombing. It's not, uh, uh, you know, that kind of fractious uh, uh, nature. And so I, I can I can understand from your perspective, boy, like everything's very it's just one big slow motion comforter when you're not in in, in the middle of it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> Uh, Brian Sack, thank you, thank you, thank you so much uh, uh, again for coming on. Uh, people can follow you where? Uh, I'm at Brian underscore Sack because some dude did at Brian Sack years ago, and I get and then never <laughs> tweeted again. Just oh, disappeared no. from Twitter. Yeah, that's the worst. That's like I, you know, if you got it first, you got my weird name, and you got it first. More power to you. But then you just don't do anything with it. You know, you do like four tweets and kick off, and then yeah. you just squat that. So Brian underscore sack on uh, Twitter, but, and my, I have a podcast. I'll, I'll be restarting with my colleague, Jack Helmuth It's a questionable material with Jack and Brian. I had a few dispatches from Ukraine on it. And then I just, it was just too, I was too busy and it, I wasn't in the right frame of mind to be doing a comedy podcast. No, no, that's <laughs> again, that is, that is, that's a hard, that's a hard uh, gap to, 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 to jump. You really have yeah. to recalibrate. Uh, uh, to to figure out how to make jokes about this this world, yeah. which is like, in and of itself, a pocket universe of very very silly silly things. Yes, it is. Uh, thank you so much, Brian. Thanks, Justin. And that will wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to reach out to Brian Sack, please head on over to letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Again, that is PX3, guest.com. You want to email the show? It's simple. Theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter, PX3 Tweets. Watch me on Twitch live, px3live.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy members, px3podcast.com, and get all the merch that you need, politicsmerch.com. You can support me with a one-time donation if you'd like to do so. Uh, uh, earmark it, earmark a ridiculous tip for a bartender, and I will do my best to, to tip a random bartender in the Georgia area your ridiculous tip. If you head on over to paypal.me slash pay jury on Venmo, it is Justin dash young dash 20 cash app is PX three cash. And if you'd like to send me anything in the mail, it is PO box one, five, three, one, eight, four, Austin, Texas, seven, eight, seven, one, five. Of course, you can always get our bonus content. This is really the, the lifeblood of the show financially. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like the, these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Including V-Guard, Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Double K Ranch, Yo Pinball Shop, Amanda, John, DP4 Bongo, Neemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, Persons Familiar with the Matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. 100 Mile Runner, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, B.A. Start, Dr. G, Headphones, Neil, Charles, Darren, Alex, Owner of the Stronger Now Gym in Atlanta, 
Idris Arzlandi in Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana Shrill, Shrieks, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Redneck Tech is awesome. David, Brad, Richard, D-Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, who loves Frank Got Abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Jen, Adam, LD, Really, Chopper, J-Pink, Andrew, and Josh. You want to have your name read? Only one place to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $10 tier. Georgia. Georgia. We uh, will bring you that coverage. Uh, uh, We're going to go to the same schedule that we were at this week where patrons will get the... Uh, everything that I have from Saturday and Sunday on Sunday. Uh, meanwhile, Monday night, everybody else will get uh, on the free uh, stuff. We will we will bring you uh, what went out to the patrons and coverage from the Kemp Pence event, which is on Monday night, as well as my predictions for what is going to happen. Although I don't know if there's a ton of prediction stuff for here. Anyway, you're gonna get you're gonna get all that. Uh, And then we will be back with a regular episode on Friday. And that pretty much brings our primary travel to an end until later into the summer, we go out to Wyoming for Liz Cheney's primary. But that's that's way later. This is going to be the end of our of our big flurry uh, uh, up here during the uh, the the spring primaries, the spring, early summer primaries. So savor it while it lasts, friends. Until then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.